Well, you can be seated if you can. We're so glad you're here today. God bless you for coming on this good, moist Sunday. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but we needed the uh, we need the rain at my house, and uh, so we're we're glad to have the rain for sure. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to start a series today that I was going to start seven weeks ago, uh, six weeks ago, and um, but got interrupted, and so we're going to start it today, on, and it's even more apropos today than it was six weeks ago. Uh, it's entitled, Seven Reasons Why I Need a Church Family During covid Seven reasons why I need a church family during COVID. They tell us now that uh, statistics are proving out that Satan is winning. The only, the only vaccine for this terrible virus, and it's not a hoax, it's a real virus. And if you've been on social media and if you believed all this stuff about it being a hoax, it's not real... Don't believe that. It is real. I've had friends who are in ICU right now with it. I have friends who I know who have died from it. It is a real virus. It's affecting some people in a terrible way. Others don't seem affected at all. And they haven't got it figured out. Nobody has any answers. The only answers we know is showing us that Satan's tactic is working. The only thing that they tell us can help you in this situation is not a pill. They don't have a vaccine. They don't have a remedy. They don't have a solution. The only thing that they're saying works is isolation and separation. Isolation and separation. And did you know that isolation and separation are two of Satan's most formidable tactics that he uses to get Christians where he wants them? Isolation and separation. Isolation and separation. Isolation and separation seems to be the only vaccine for the coronavirus at this point. It's also interesting to note that isolation and separation are two of Satan's most effective tactics against mankind. Uh, We must remember we're in a spiritual warfare here. And Satan's tactic is to isolate you and separate you and me from all good, good and healthy and godly influences. That way, he can get us to himself and fill our minds with his thoughts and his opinions and his ideas. I remember years ago during my battle with depression, I thought if I could retreat into solitude and secrecy, then I could control my environment and keep the stressors out. I soon learned this is a deceptive tactic of Satan. Retreating into solitude and secrecy allows Satan full access to your thought life. And that's what he wants to do. 
I, I did find out I could keep some stressors away, but I lost my shield of community, which helped me effectively war against the oppressive and depressive thoughts that were warring against my mind. In my years of ministry, I have regretfully watched dozens of times as Christians start out on fire for God. They get saved, they get born again, people who battled with addictions, people who battled with a life that wasn't a godly life, and God sets them free, He delivers them, He helps them, He saves them, He redeems them, He removes all that stuff out of their life, and they start out on fire for God. I mean, they, 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 they serve their local church, they serve their community, they are diligent in worship, they, they, they want to be around the church family, but over a period of time, that desire for community starts to wane. And those people who at one time started out with a passionate love for Christ, now years later, years later, find themselves totally distant from the one principle that is so crucial to living the Christian life, and that's Christian community. They're telling us now that post-COVID, post-COVID, since the beginning of COVID now, that the average attendance in church... The average attendance in church is 20% to 50% of what it was pre-COVID. 20% to 50% of what it was pre-COVID. And what we have people call us. I've had people call me this week. Pastor, I wish I could be there. But you know what? I'm, y'all do such a good job on live stream. It's so easy. Just sit at home in your pajamas and attend church. Well, you know what? That, that's wonderful. That's great. I'm glad you're having a good time while other people are serving the Lord and serving their community. It's all about you anyway. And uh, so we're glad you're having a good time. But that's not God's plan. There are seven reasons why you and I need our church community more than ever during this COVID period. Seven reasons. Now, there are some people who are, who are vulnerable. They're physically uh, not well. They need to stay home. They need to stay home. Uh, so we understand that. But at the same time, there's a lot of people right now that have gotten in the habit of staying home and they were once involved in church and now they just don't want to get up and go. Now don't preach me down because I'm, I'm preaching real good here. But you know I'm speaking the truth. And I'm trying to... I'm trying to to, to help you, to warn you, to, sh- to shock you. This is not the time to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is not the time to forsake. Yes, take precautions. You saw Amanda and I, we came in here with masks on today. We, we wear masks. You say, were well, you scared of the virus? No, I'm not scared of the virus. I'm not scared of the virus, but I'm a shepherd. And the shepherd looks out for his flock. The shepherd always looks out for his flock before he puts his personal rights. I've had people say to me, well, it's against my right. It's not against your right to try to protect somebody else. That's not against your right. It's your responsibility as a child of God to make sure that you're walking in the most protection, not only for you and your family, but for other people as well. Well, I just don't believe masks help. Well, you know, that's your opinion. We'll come see you in the hospital. And anyway, if they'll let us in. Understand, right now, it's not about our rights. 
It's not about our rights. It's about being a blessing to our community. It's about being a blessing to our community and presenting a safe environment for people to come. You know, we've had people that will write us and say, we really want to come. We watch on live stream, but we see so many people there that don't have masks. And we are older and we are not physically well, so we can't risk coming and getting infected. Now think about that. Think about that. 20% to 50% of people now are attending church compared to pre-COVID. Some for good reasons, some just lazy. So I want to encourage you during this time, this is the moment we need our church family. Well, I can see I've really started off in a bang. Turn with me to Ephesians. If I'm going to come back and do it, I might as well go ahead and shut her down right now. If, if they're going to get rid of me here, this is a good time, my first time back. Swing for the fence and miss it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Notice what he says. Verse, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul's talking to Christians here at Ephesus. He's not talking to an individual. He's talking to a church body. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 15. From whom the whole family. Everybody say family. Everybody say family. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, before I start talking to you about the seven reasons why we need our church family during COVID, let me share with you the number one reason why people get out of church. Why people just, the old term used to be backslide. Why people just kind of forsake coming to church. Why they get... They become very casual with their church attendance and and being a part of a church. And not necessarily a church attendance, but being a part of a church family. Being involved in a church family. Let me me share with you the, the number one reason why people get away from being involved and being committed to a church family. I, uh, I've discovered an age-old tactic Satan uses to pull people away from their church community is offense. People taking offense. It's impossible to live life without offenses coming. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 17. He said, it's impossible to live life without offenses coming. And I learned that many, many, many years ago. When you stand on this platform and everything you say, every word is dissected, everything you wear, every car you drive, every place you live, everything your children do, everything they say, everything they wear, everything your wife, if the way you walk in, if you speak, if you don't speak, everything is under a microscope. And we've discovered in our life, our family has discovered, you can just be going about doing your own good and somebody's going to get offended. Is anybody here this morning? People, people are going to get offended. And you know that. You can walk in at work and your peers, you not say anything to anybody, and somebody gets mad at you. You can show up at a family function and hadn't talked to family members in months, and somebody is mad at you before you get there. It's impossible to live life without offenses coming. That's what the Bible says. Offenses will come. 
period. Don't be surprised when people get offended at you. Don't be surprised when they try to stain your reputation. Don't be surprised when they try to twist something you've said. Offenses will come, period. Someone will criticize you unjustly, speak falsehoods about you, and even start rumors about you to damage your reputation. Others will take advantage of your kindness and then pick one weakness in your life and exploit it. Offenses will come, and I'm going to tell you, I don't care how mature you are and how many times you've been through the the rigmarole of being offended, it doesn't make any difference how many times they still hurt. They hurt today as much as they hurt 30 years ago. They hurt. When people unjustly criticize you, when people falsely accuse you, I want you to know it hurts. It hurts. And we must learn, we must learn, our spiritual maturity is not determined by my offender, the person who says uh, is the offender. My spiritual maturity is not determined by what they said about me. My spiritual maturity is not determined by what they did to me. My spiritual maturity is revealed in my reaction toward my offenders. They might say, you're this, you're that, you're terrible, you did this. My spiritual ma- They don't determine my spiritual maturity. I determine my spiritual maturity. And my spiritual maturity is always revealed in my reaction toward my offenders. Look at Psalm 119, 165. Notice what it says. Psalm 119, verse 165 says this. Great peace have they which love thy law And nothing, everybody say nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing shall offend them. It just seems like everybody gets offended now. Everybody gets offended now over the least little things. But the Bible says if you you are easily offended, you don't love the word of the Lord. The Bible says great peace have they which love thy law and nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. Nothing shall offend them. Listen, if I'm offendable... It's not that people are bad. It's that my word intake is lacking. If I'm offendable, it's not that people are bad. It's that my word intake is lacking. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Look what it says in the New Living Translation. Those who love your instructions have great peace... And do not stumble. Taking an offense, taking an offense is the first misstep into a spiritual stumble. Taking an offense. Now, I I like to say it this way. Jesus said it's impossible to live life without offenses coming. They're going to come. Offenses will come, but I don't have to take the offense. I do not have to be offended by the offense. Or if, if it does hurt, I don't have to dwell on it and let it grow in me. I can turn it over to the Lord, cast all my care upon the Lord, and let Him take care of the situation. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, here's what happens. Let me, let me show you what happens. Sometimes an offense occurs, and if we're not careful... Somebody does us wrong, somebody lies about us, somebody starts some rumor about us, somebody spins something, 
they heard us say. They spin the story and they, that they heard us say. And, it, it, and it, it, they got offended or something of that nature. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, sometimes an offense occurs and slowly that offense, slowly, will grow into a root of bitterness. Someone in the church does you wrong. Let me, this is how it plays out. I've seen it happen multiple times. Someone in the church does you wrong. Or someone does something you don't agree with. At first, you mention it to one of your friends. And they'll say, they'll say to you, well, what are you going to do about it? And we will say something like this, oh, nothing, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Well, listen, it must have been a big deal or you wouldn't have mentioned it. If you don't deal with it personally, that no big deal thing will turn into something you can't get over. Before long, anytime you think about that church or anytime you think about that person or anytime you think about that family member or anytime you think about that product or anytime you think about that company, that no big deal thing has stirred in you so long that it has corrupted your feelings toward that church and toward that family member and toward those friends and toward that neighbor and toward that company. See, I've learned that Satan loves to take advantage of unresolved no big deals. If somebody's telling you something, if somebody's sharing an offense with you, and then they end the conversation, but it's no big deal. You need to understand, it's a big deal. Satan's working on them. That thing is festering in them. Remember, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And suddenly the no big deal offense starts growing and Satan points out all the problems of a certain church or a certain family member or a certain friend or a certain neighbor. The whole time, Satan's scheme and tactic is working. He's trying to separate you and isolate you from godly influences and people who can help you and be a blessing in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for His Word. Turn, let, me, let me show you how it works out. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me just show it to you in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. I like what the New Living Translation says. It says it this way. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14. It reads this way. Work at living with peace. Work at living in peace. With everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now notice, go back to the, the verse 14 again. Notice what he says. Work, it, work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living in peace with every month. Do you know living in peace with some people is a lot of work. Some people are just hard to get along with. And some in your family are the hardest to get along with. You know that they're not from your loins. 
You know they didn't come from your righteous and precious and perfect genes. Something got in the family genes somewhere. Because some family members are just difficult getting along with. And it reminds me of a saying I heard years ago. And it goes like this. To dwell above with saints we love. Oh, that will surely be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) Some people are just difficult to get along with. But notice what he says. Work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now notice it's just in these two verses. Notice the emphasis. The emphasis is always two directions. Notice, work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living in peace with everyone. The emphasis is outward. Everyone. Work at living in peace with everyone. And then notice what he says. And work at living a holy life. The emphasis is inward. So outward, inward. Then he says, verse 15, look. Look at verse 15. He says, look after each other. So that none of you fails to receive the great of grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous roots of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So, he says, work at living at peace with everyone. That's outward. Work at living a holy life. That's inward. And then verse 15, he says, look after each other. That's outward. And then he says, that watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. That's inward. Notice God's focus has always been you and others. You and others. You and others. God's focus has always been. Now notice, at the, notice what he says there in verse 15. Now let's just, let's just unpeel that for a second. Look after each other that, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. The phrase, trouble you, comes from the Greek word which means to trouble, to harass, or to annoy. It refers to something on the inside of us that bothers us so much that we are constantly pestered by the thoughts. In fact, it it suggests a person who is so troubled that they are emotionally immobilized. Instead of moving on in life, they get stuck in the muck and the negativity of that experience and where they waller in it day after day after day after day. I have and you have as well have talked to people and if a certain subject comes up that they were offended at or a certain person comes up that they were offended with or some incident happened that caused them offense in their life, whether it's been five years, three months, ten years, I've even talked to some people that have been stayed offended for 20 years. When you talk to them and that subject is mentioned, boy, that bitterness comes up. 
it comes up. It's festering in them. It's annoying them. They are immobilized emotionally. They can't get past it. They just can't get past it. And if they don't get free from the offense on the inside and move on, notice what will happen. Notice what will happen. Notice what he says, verse 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. It festers in you. It annoys you and harasses you. And notice, if you and I cannot get rid of that, if we can't deal with that inwardly and spiritually, if it keeps festering in us, notice what happens. It will corrupt many. That word corrupt there means, in the original language, it defiles. And that word defile literally means to spill over. It will stain or it will spot. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said he was in Ephesians. He said, Paul said that when he comes back, he's coming back with, for a glorious church. Do you remember what kind of how he defined a glorious church? Without what? Spot or wrinkle. Do you think Jesus is coming back for a bunch of offended saints who are holding offense? He's not coming back for people who have spots. Spots called by their holding offense. They haven't dealt with it on the inside. They haven't turned it over to the Lord. And notice what it says. If you let that thing annoy you and fester in you and harass you, it will corrupt many. It will spill over. If we are inwardly upset with someone and don't deal with our offense inwardly, eventually the offense will spill over And we will open our mouths and verbalize our ugly emotions. And nowadays people do it on social media. And when you see that on social media, you see someone's evidence of people who have been defiled. They're corrupted. They have allowed that offense, whatever it might be, to to harass them so much and fester so much in them, and now they can't contain it. It spills over. And when our ugly emotions begin to spill over, we say bad things about people, and those words and comments have devastating effects on those who have heard us say it. Now, let, let, me, let me just share, let's, let me get down here real, real where we live. One of the challenges I've had over the years, um, personally, is that um, I get close to people. Um, and if, 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 they get a, if someone offends them, that person that I'm close to, or if someone offends my children, I do pretty good on most people until you mess with my children. And then I want to get you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm working on that area. I might have to kill two or three, but I'll get over it eventually. But when I'm close to someone and someone offends them, someone talks about my friend, someone talks about my family member, someone talks about my coworker or somebody I'm close to, 
I sense, I sense it's a breach of loyalty if I don't take their offense. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Somebody, Devin's my son-in-law. I love him. I love him as a son. In fact, most of the time I love him more than I love my son. And anyway, um, if someone says something about Devin, or to Devin, if, if someone offends Devin, then I feel like I'm, my flesh feels like I'd, I'm not being loyal to Devin unless I side with Devin. People know what I'm talking about here. You understand what I'm talking about. And I have literally missed some things God had for me because I took somebody else's offense. Because I wouldn't have nothing to do with them no more. They didn't say nothing to me. They didn't offend me. I don't even know them. But if they hurt my son, I ain't ain't messing with you. I'm, I'm writing you off. But see, I've taken his offense. And I can miss God's plan for my life and blessings because I've taken somebody else's offense. How many of you understand that most of the stuff you hear, 99.9% of the stuff you hear about somebody getting offended, chances are everything you hear about it is not completely accurate. There's usually two sides to every story. And most people kind of spin it and turn it just a little bit. That's just their flesh and emotions. They don't really want to. That's just the way that people, flesh and emotions are. And if we're not careful, if we just believe everything and take somebody's offense, those people that supposedly offended my friend, hadn't. I don't even know them. They don't know anything about me. But I don't want to have nothing to do. I've taken my friend's offense. That's why it's important that once an offense comes, we deal with it. We deal with it personally and get rid of it. The Bible says the first thing to do, if your brother sins against you, you go to him. It doesn't say get on social media. It doesn't say call your sister. It doesn't say call your parent. It says you go to them. That's the first biblical thing to do. If they repent, forgive them. If they don't repent, then send in your friends, have them beat them up. But other than that, how many times have we taken someone's offense when that person who got offended has not operated in a biblical pattern and hadn't gone to that person? They've just been spending their time talking about that person and we get dragged in on that situation and it affects us. What does it say? What does it say? Be, look after yourself. Unless a root of bitterness starts to spring up in you, troubling you, and corrupting many. It will defile. That which was meant toward you, if you and I don't deal with it, that offense, if we don't deal with it, that hurt, that disappointment, that injustice, that mistreatment that happened to us, if we don't deal with it inwardly, and we spend our time spreading it to all our friends and our family members, guess what it's going to do? It's going to defile them. It's going to stain them. It's going to spot them. Because they are caught between two. Am I going to be loyal to my friend? 
And everybody wants to be loyal to their friend. So you see how this thing, how Satan over some little thing, and here's what I've noticed. Here's the crazy thing. I've been offended. I have taken other people's offense because somebody got offended and they told me about it and I wanted to be loyal to my friend and I've taken their offense and then would ask them three months later, well, how's that deal going? Dad? Oh, I got worked out two or three days afterwards. And they don't come back and tell you that it's all worked out. I've been, a, I've been mad at a person for three months and the person they offended is no longer mad at them. That ain't fair. You see, you see, but I got corrupted. And I spent three months. And you know what I probably did? I probably said it to somebody else. And then they, see, see when we tell people about our offense... We can't control it any longer. When we, as long as we can keep it here and on our knees in prayer and before the Lord, we can control our offense. But when we tell it, even though it's no big deal, but we tell it, we can't control it any longer. You don't know who's going, they're going to tell somebody and they're going to tell somebody. And just our offense has the ability to corrupt dozens of people. And listen to what Luke 17 says. He says, it's impossible, but that offenses will come. But then he says, but woe, but woe. King James says, woe. You know what woe means, woe. Woe means judgment, woe. To, to those through whom they come. It would be better. He said this. It would be better if a King James, if a millstone were tied around his neck and he'd be thrown into the sea. Now, for years, I literally thought, and I got to close. I'll close with this. For years, I literally thought what that meant. If somebody offends you, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. God's going to put something worse on them than a millstone being tied around their neck and thrown in the sea. God's going to get them. They might think they're winning now, but God's going to get them. Hallelujah to God. They're going to go... And they won't be able to get out. They're going a concrete block around their neck, thrown into Stones River, and we're going to sit there and raft right by them. That's not what he's saying. Now listen to what he says. It's impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe, woe, judgment is coming unto whom, through whom, through whom the offenses come. Through whom the offenses come. When I'm offended and I talk it, I am the vehicle through which that offense is coming. He's not saying, he's not saying the person who did you wrong, I'm going to get them back. He's saying the person that did you wrong is out of the equation. If you spread it, judgment's coming upon you. Because the offender only corrupts and hurts one. The person who they are mad at or who they did wrong The person who talks it corrupts many. 
The offender only, only hurts one. The person who talks about it, if they don't deal with it, they will corrupt a bunch of people. Satan doesn't want you at church. And he's winning that battle with a lot of people. And the reason, one of the main reasons he uses, whether it's COVID or non-COVID, is people get offended. Well, they hurt me. They hurt me. Them Christians hurt me. That church hurt me. How many times? We hear that every week almost. Uh, we, we haven't been at church for years. They hurt me. You know what happened? You fell prey to Satan's tactic of isolation and secrecy and separation. Stand with me, would you? We're going to partake of Holy Communion. If, uh, if you came today and are a child of God, you do not have to be a member of our church. We practice what is referred to as open communion. If you're a member of the body of Christ, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we welcome you to partake communion with us. Well, I wasn't baptized here. Hey, we'll take your baptism anywhere, all right? From a creek, from a creek to the cathedral downtown, we'll take it. It's good enough for us. So if you came in and would like to partake communion with us but did not receive this little packet, would you raise your hand? We want to make sure everybody has a packet of, of communion elements. Here, right here up here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you will... Uh, carefully pull back that uh, transparent little tab and it unveils the wafer if you're watching us live stream um, if you have some juice or crackers or piece of bread whatever you have you say I don't have grape juice well, it doesn't make any difference get you some Powerade glory to God communion with Powerade that, that, that helped build your faith Whatever you have, piece of bread, cracker, whatever, uh, join us in this. This wafer represents, it is not, but it represents the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The broken body of Jesus, the body of Jesus was broken because of punishment for wrongdoing. We know that Jesus was sinless. So the punishment for wrongdoing was not his sin. It was our sin. So this wafer represents his body, which was broken and punished and beaten with our punishment. And when we partake of this wafer, what it's saying is we believe that what Jesus did for me is enough to satisfy the claims of justice before God. And that now I don't have to be separated from God. And here's another thing. Here's a side thought about the, the, the wafer. The Bible says, and with his stripes we are healed. This wafer not only represents the forgiveness of sin, it also represents the healing of our bodies. So let's just hold our wafer up and let's thank him for his broken body. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken. 
We thank you that you suffered and died for us. You didn't have to. You wasn't guilty. We're the ones that's guilty. And you loved us so much. You took our punishment. And you gave us your righteousness. We remember that today and honor you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the wafer together. Now pull back the other tab real carefully. The juice represents the blood of Jesus and oh, the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that this juice represents the power of God over Satan. The word of God tells us in the book of Revelation and they, the Christians, we overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb, what this juice represents and the power of our testimony or the or our testimony that proclaims the blood of Jesus has been applied to our life. So let's just thank him for the blood. Father, we just hold up this juice and just remember your blood that covers us and cleanses us that you shed on Calvary so that we could be righteous and redeemed and take authority over the enemy. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's partake. Amen. Well, I'm getting ready to, I want to, I want to pray for you as you leave. Bless you. We have, uh, we don't, we haven't been passing offering buckets because they tell us that, uh, that maybe that if somebody is infected and they don't know it and they touch the that and somebody else touch it so we don't know but we're just doing everything in our power to be safe so we're not passing offering buckets but what we do we have offering buckets at each exit and uh, I just want to encourage you in your giving I will tell you this I tell you the good I tell you when it's not so good the month of June the month of June financially for our church was the lowest month financially uh, this whole year and uh, and uh, so I just tell you that that our we didn't we didn't get where we need to be budget wise the whole month of June. And I talk to pastors every week, and this is starting to be a trend. Is at first people were really excited and making sure their church was taken care of and their giving was faithful and consistent. But as time, church giving has started to wane. And some churches have had to lay off staff, and and some churches have had to cut back ministries and couple that I know of have even had to shut their doors for a short period of time. They just can't pay the bills. So I just want to encourage you today to be faithful to your church. Ministry's continuing. Uh, and we love you and we're always here for you. So just want to encourage you to be faithful to your church. Let me pray for you. Father, we speak now a blessing over these precious people who've come out today when the, when the statistics tells us over half of the people who normally attend church just uh, are not coming. Some for valid reasons. Others just have gotten in the habit of not coming. But these precious people have come. Now I'm asking you to bless them for it. Let their hearts be stirred. Let their minds be ignited. Let them learn the truth that they heard today about being offended. Let it get in them and change them. And I pray now blessings on them. No evil shall befall them. No plague can come nigh them. 
the angels of God encamp about them to keep them in all their ways. No virus, no accident, injury, terror or terrorists can come close to them or their families in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we call them blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amanda and I will be right up here if you want prayer. You come right up. Amanda and I will be happy to lay hands on you and pray. God bless. Have a great afternoon.